Linger in that spot for just a moment, shall we? That's a good one. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, it's your name that we sing. It's your name that we speak. Uh, You are the expectation this morning. We don't come to hear uh, a TED Talk this morning. We don't come to just sing songs. You are at the center of the room. You sacrifice for us, your love for your people. Uh, You are our identity. You're the only thing we have to hold on to. Where else would we go to find the words of eternal life but you, Christ, this morning? And so I pray you'd clear away all of the distractions. Lord, thank you for this group that you've gathered online. Thank you for this group that you've gathered here in this room. And I pray that you'd speak, Lord. We love you. We pray all this through your name and your sacrifice. Amen. It's really, really good to see you all this morning. Uh, We had a very cold week last week. If you look to your neighbor and you see anybody who's missing fingers, that means they were here last week for last week's service. It was a cold one. Um, And if you haven't been around, I just want to bring you up to speed. And by the way, I'm recovering from a head cold a little bit, so I apologize if some of those artifacts make their way out in the microphone this morning, just to give you fair warning. Um, But we have been in a series that I'm incredibly excited about. Uh, called Refocus, and it it starts with this question of who are we becoming as a church, and I'm not really using the name Eastview in that. I'm talking about who are we, the people of God, who are we becoming as his church, not just our organization, but who are we as the people of God becoming, and so it started week one. Zach started us off two weeks ago uh, talking about the glory of God, because we begin, when we ask that question, who are we becoming, the first place that we look at is God. Who is he? What are his characteristics? How do we see him revealed? So we started talking about how epic and large and big our God is. His glory is on display. And then week two, last week, we talked about his grace, because he's not just a God whose glory is on display, like, you know, like Zeus who can throw down lightning bolts when he wants to. He reveals himself as actually a caring and loving, connected God. He did not just make this world and let it spin. He created you and I as counterparts to him. He made you like him. You are created in the image of your heavenly father, male and female. You are created in the image of your heavenly father. And so you bear his likeness, and he has such incredible love for you. And so last week, we talked about how you are loved and known and seen and forgiven. And Ephesians has provided the whole anchor for us in this. And so this morning, I want to jump straight into Ephesians 1. Uh, We're going to start here in verse, I think it's 16. And I love the language. I mean, Paul is writing, this is for for the Bible nerds in the room, we call this an epistle. That's a a letter that that Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. And you can tell in his tone that this is, he's very warm. He's not always warm in his letters. He's writing to the Corinthians, not warm, all right? Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? There's not that kind of language in Ephesians, all right? It's tender, But he begins in verse 16 by saying, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Do you hear that tone? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe, toward us who believe, excuse me, according to the working of his great might, 
that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And finally, there's a period. I don't know if you're paying attention, but that was one sentence so far, okay? That's Paul for you. And here's where I need you to lock in with me. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So when I read this, I look at Ephesians 1 and I say, well, who am I? Who am I in this text? What does it say about me as a person? Well, I'm a receiver of the spirit of wisdom, a revelation and knowledge. Um, I'm one with an enlightened heart. I see here, I'm a knower of the hope. Uh, I'm a receiver of a rich and glorious inheritance, I see in our text. I'm a receiver of the greatness of his power. Well, who's, who's Jesus in my text? Well, he's the one who defeated death. That's not bad. Seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority over every name that is named in every age. He's the head over all things, all things, including the church, which is his body. And that leads us to the, to the third question, who are we? Not just who do I, how do I understand myself through this text or how do I understand who Jesus and his authority is, which is here in this text, but how do we understand ourselves in this text? What does it mean that Jesus is the head of the church which is his body. That's an important phrase, and that's one that I'm gonna stick on today as we talk about this together. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. So what comes to mind when you hear the word church? It's a very polarizing word, isn't it? I mean, depending, I want you to think about this for a moment. Depending on who you are sitting in here today, your experience with that word church is super interesting and polarizing. If I go to the average person today, just on the street, and I say, hey, what's your experience with church? I don't know what can of worms I'm opening up. There may be serious hurt, there may be hate, there may be love, I don't know. You guys, I I work as a pastor with with college students, and when you meet somebody for the first time, that's question number two. What's your name and what do you do, all right? So there is no room to hide my profession in a conversation. I'm not saying that I want to, sometimes I want to, okay? but. So somebody says, hey, who are you? I say, Ben Miller. What do you do? I work as, as a pastor with college students. The reaction to that is unbelievable because some people want to give me a hug where it's like, oh, I meet people who are just kindred spirits who get it, and they're like, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus too. That's amazing. And we start, you do that thing where you're like, oh, you know this person, and you, were, you had this experience And there's this connection that you feel with that person and literally other people who will just turn around and walk away, not say another word. Because there's hurt in the organizational church that sits from them. Or or you see the headlines, there's abuse. There's abuse of people, there's abuse of power that has happened in the name of Jesus. It's real, I mean, it sits here, it's in this auditorium. Some of you feel that very, very deeply. And so this word church is so polarizing. And beyond that, you just have all of the different experiences of church. You guys, I grew up in 80s and 90s church, which was pretty funky, okay? 80s and 90s church. Every church had a mime ministry. That was really important in the 80s and 90s, miming. 
was incredibly important to us, all right? I remember as a junior high student, I think this was in Pekin, Illinois, I went to a Rick Kua concert. Anybody remember him? No, that's nobody. <laughs> Got no hands on that one, okay? Rick Kua was like a 1980s, he sang a song about uh, boundaries, like, like uh, sexual boundaries in dating called young, Bo young boy, young girl, all right? And I went to that concert. There's like 200 people in this tiny church basement, and, which I thought was a huge amount of people then. And Rick Koo is singing the song, and he's got a boa constrictor draped around his neck, okay? <laughs> and I didn't think that was weird, because that's, that's what church was like in the 80s. It was like, if my kids came home today, and they went to a church event, and the, and the, the main person was singing about dating boundaries and had a boa constrictor around his neck, I'd be like, I got some follow-up questions that, <laughs> that I would like to ask about that. But that, that was church in the 80s, you guys. Um, Eastview, this is back, I know that some of you were involved with this. 80s and 90s did a living Christmas tree, a singing Christmas tree. How many of you were part of this? Here's, here's a picture in the pantograph of you. For those of you who have no idea what that is, it's a giant, like, 20 or 30-foot-tall Christmas tree where the ornaments are singing heads of people, <laughs> okay? And if, if you think, oh, man, that's kind of weird, you guys, I read in 1995 from, in a Panagraph article this week that there were 12 sold-out shows at Eastview for the singing, living Christmas tree, all right? Church was different back then. It was just a, a little bit different. Um, I, if I say the word megachurch to people, people have opinions. I don't particularly like that word. There are more people, many more people who attend this church than grew up in the town that, I, or that, that live in the town that I grew up in. And so even when Joe and I felt like God was, was pulling us toward uh, coming here, what would have been, I don't know, 11 or 12 years ago, um, I, had, I had some things I had to get over in my head. Because you know those, those things that people say uh, when a church is too big, oh, well, if it's that big, then they must be watering down the message of Jesus. Or it must just be all about putting on a big show. And I had some of those chips on my shoulder that I had to figure out when I came here that, that God helped me understand differently and move past at a certain point. What are the preconceptions or the biases or the hurts or the hates that you hold in your hand when I say the word church? You have them. You have them. You have built ideas in your head of what church is or what church should be that may or may not be biblical. I'd like to challenge those this morning. I'd like to poke at them a little bit. But first, I need you to hold them up where they are and understand that you have them. And it's okay that you have them. You have your experiences just like I have my experiences. So what does it mean biblically? Like when we actually look at our text, when it says Christ is the head of his church, the head of his church. What does that mean? Sometimes we use that, that word like the house of the Lord. We sang about it today. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Well, that's a great phrase. I have no problem with that phrase, but it conveys some ideas that the, that the church is a building. You know, don't run in the house of the Lord. Don't yell in the house of the Lord. The stuff that you say to your kids, don't do that. Uh, when primarily what scripture wants to teach us about church, that, that, the Greek word that's used here in this text is ekklesia that Christ is the head of his ecclesia, which is his body. And ecclesia doesn't mean house. It's used, I think that's 112 times, 114 times, 112 times in the New Testament. And it is not a religious word. It was a Greek word that wasn't used as a religious gathering. And ecclesia was just a gathering of like-minded people 
That's all it was. People who came out for a particular reason. Um, I, I know that this is gonna be a little bit divisive, but a week and a half ago, I went to the Cubs convention in Chicago, okay? Okay, some love, some hate, it's okay. Um, and it was, it was so cool and bizarre. So it's held in the Sheraton Hotel in Chicago, which is a beautiful hotel, uh, and yet it was packed with what felt and smelled like Wrigley Field, okay? And so, um, and, I, and, and you're, you know, you're, they're doing announcements and they had special stuff that happened and some of the 2016 players were there and people are waiting in line for other people for autographs. And I, got, I was on an escalator and Pat Hughes, who's one of my favorite humans on the planet, he's their radio announcer, inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. He, he and his security guard came onto the um, escalator right in front of me. So he's like riding the escalator right here. And I was like, Pat, can I get a selfie with you? And he was like, sure, Ben. And so I, and his security guard was not super excited about that, but he was, he was great with that. And so I got to meet Fergie Jenkins and Jody Davis and some of these old cubs. It was so fun and bizarre. And that was an ecclesia. That was an ecclesia. All these people from all over who had one thing in common came together at the Sheridan Hotel in Chicago last weekend. And it felt a little bit like family because there was that, that connection that we shared in that. Maybe the best example I could give you of an ecclesia is, is like a parade, like a homecoming parade. Every block in a parade is an ecclesia, is like this unique group of people who are like, no, we're, we are the junior high dance team from this. And so they've got their uniforms and their banner and their little thing, and they walk by, and then it's the whatever political party, you know, and they've got their T-shirts and their people and their candy, and they walk by. Every one of those is a little ecclesia. They have their own identity that sits there. Not a religious word. Well, then why do we use it religiously? Well, maybe some of that comes out of this idea that Jesus attached it when we, when we he used the word ecclesia in Matthew 16, 18. You remember there's that moment that he had with Peter where Peter confesses him as Christ. And Jesus like basically says, you nailed it, Peter. That's exactly, he said, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yes, Jesus says, and on that confession, on this rock, I will build my church, my ecclesia. Not again, not house, my ecclesia, my gathering of people, the ones who are called by my name, the ones who have been forgiven. Jesus is our banner. In other words, Jesus is saying, This is my gathering. This is the people of God, the people who have been rescued. We talked about last week. You are loved, you are known, you are seen, and you are forgiven. That's the banner that you wear as the people of God. It's who we are. And so if we are going to understand anything about ecclesia, it is this very simple truth that before it is anything else, the church is a people. And you say, wait a minute, man, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't the church also an organization? Isn't the church also a Sunday morning worship service? Isn't the church also a brand? Isn't the church, it's like, back off. Before anything else, the church is a people or the rest of that stuff doesn't make sense. Can the church be an organization? Yes. But it breaks if you don't think about it first as the church being the people of God. The church is a people. Well, in this passage, Paul connects that to a second idea. He says, Christ is the head of the ecclesia, the church, this gathering, the people who are called out by his name, which is his body. That's another really beautiful Greek word that Paul likes to use. He uses it 
I think it's nine different times in four different letters he uses this metaphor to help us understand who we are. We are the body. He is the head, and we are the body, the soma. Maybe one of the easiest parts to jump to of Scripture, of, of all of those nine, would be 1 Corinthians 12. So let me just let Paul do the explaining so I don't have to do that. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense of hearing, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. Did you hear that? God, I'm going to repeat that. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I'm going to jump to verse 27. It's not on the screen, but he sort of sums that section up by saying, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So you are a foot or an eye or a hand, or a spleen, okay? No, I, there's no appendixes in the body of Christ. That would sort of break our metaphor, okay? That's not what Paul's going for. But you, you are a part of the body of Christ. This doesn't say if you would choose it. This doesn't say if you understand it. The moment that you are part of the ecclesia, meaning the moment that you receive Christ's forgiveness and you, are, you say, you know what? I am, my life belongs to you, Jesus. You belong to the church, you belong to it. Some of you be like, I don't like that. Well, I, you don't have to like it. I don't know what to tell you. You are a part of the church. So for those of you who would say, you know what? I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> but philosophically, it doesn't work that way. You are a part of the church, whether you like it or not. You're a foot, whether you like it or not. God arranged the parts of the body the way that he decided. You can choose to be a foot that disconnects itself from the body and goes and hides but that's not going to work out very well for you. The body doesn't function that way. So ecclesia helps us understand that the church is a people, and soma helps us understand several other pieces. I want to give you three just very, very quickly. One is, one lesson that we get from soma is that you are dependent. You're dependent. You need the body, and the body needs you badly. We very much understand this picture of what a healthy body can or should look like, okay? And so the body needs a heart. The body needs a lot of things. And who's the head? Christ. Christ is the head. And so I've said this before, but it's like you may say, you know what? Well, not all parts are important. They are. You do not have a part that you would be okay losing today. It may seem like it's not important. You may not think about that part doing its function, but when that part isn't working, the whole rest of the body has to stop and figure out how to do that. And this is the metaphor that Paul is giving us to help us understand how we connect with each other, how we think about each other. This helps you see your own value in the body. You are needed in the body. 
And not only that, but it helps you see the value of everybody else in the body because I can't look at somebody else and say, you know what, they don't matter. You know what, they're worthless. No, they're not. God arranged them as a specific part of the body and they're needed as a part of the body. So in the, I would just ask you as a question, are there opportunities for other people to lean on you and for you to lean on others currently in your life? Are you dependent on other parts of the body and are other parts of the body dependent on you? That should be a way that SOMA is lived out in your life, in my life. There's a dependence on each other, not just organizationally, but personally. The second one, diversity. As the church, we are diverse, and our differences are to our advantage. This is, this is the place where diversity should actually blossom and find its fullness in the body of Christ, because you aren't supposed to look like me. And I know that sometimes in this format, we can elevate certain parts of the body. I mean, again, in the evangelical world, if you can preach or teach and you can play an acoustic guitar, it's like people think, ah, oh, those are the gifts to have, right? No, 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 no. That actually goes in conflict with what we're seeing here. This is not about elevating two or four parts of the body. This is about understanding just how important each part of the body is. Paul will go on in this text. I just don't have time to get to it this morning and talk about how we should even give special value to those parts which may otherwise be covered up or hidden. In other words, we need to esteem each gift because each gift matters. Diversity matters. And the last one is empowered. We really are better together. I mean, this is the way that the body is supposed to work. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. I want to say this verse every time I preach here, but Romans 8.11, I need to remind you, church, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us. And we are the, the, the... the pathway for Jesus to do his work culturally. That's what he chose. He said, you know what? I am going to do my work through you. You are going to be my body. I'm gonna be the head. Head can't do a whole lot on its own. He empowers us with the Holy Spirit. He redeems us and restores us. He gives us a mission on this planet. He puts us together. And he says, I need you to remember, church, that you're empowered that you're better together. As a matter of fact, to go back to that that moment with Peter's confession, Jesus tells us that we're gonna storm the gates of hell together. On this rock, I will build my church and even the gates of hell won't stand up against it. He's talking about his ecclesia. He's talking about his people. This work that he began, he has left with us to do as his body. You may say, well, that sounds like a terrible plan. (laughs) Has Jesus seen his bride? Yeah. Ephesians 5, he'll go on to talk about how he is restoring her and sanctifying her and working within her. And I've been convicted over this text for many years, not just this week, because when I'm critical of the church, I got to realize I'm being critical of the church when you see the church as a people and not just an organization, suddenly you realize, you know what, Jesus, am I sanctifying your church? Am I helping to build her up? Am I doing what you have asked me to do to present her beautifully to you? I wanna give you two different pictures this morning. Um, And the best way I know is to draw it, but I'm not, I'm not gifted at the marker, so a little grace on this, okay? They're just shapes, so hopefully I can handle this. Um, 
In the past 10 or 15 years, a lot of people who talk about church a lot have talked about two different models of church, and one of them is the attractional church, okay? And so if you think about this as the church building, what sits behind the idea of attractional church is that the ministry happens here. It happens in the church walls, and this is us, okay? This is the people. And so um, the, the idea is that we get the people in the walls of the church, and this is where ministry happens. And we hire staff, and we do all of this stuff, and have great programming and great worship services. And that process brings people in to the walls of the church where ministry happens, okay? And so I would say Eastview uh, does a, this, 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 what we're doing this morning is an example of this, you know? Uh, how, how do you help someone come to know Jesus? One of the answers would be invite them to church, and the guy on the stage can share the gospel with them, <laughs> okay? Um, the other, and again, these have been pitted against each other, I feel like, in recent years, but the other looks a little more like this, which is referred to as a missional model of church. And so again, we have the church walls here, and here's all the people that sit out here, okay? And the, it's good, I know, isn't it? And, um, and the idea is that the role of the church is really more to train and equip its people to do ministry out here, okay? And so the ministry, as opposed to all happening within the walls of the church, is happening all over the place out here. Sometimes in small groups, you know, or sometimes individually where we're at, but it's happening outside of the walls of the church. I would tell you, I don't particularly feel the need to pit those against each other. I think when I look at Jesus's ministry, I do see, there, there were moments where he attracted huge crowds, I did a little quick word search. I found 33 different places in his ministry were huge, huge thousands. I mean, probably at the feeding of the 5,000, we're talking a, a 10 to 12,000 person crowd had gathered in that space. Another time he fed the 4,000. We look at Acts 2 where Peter preaches a sermon and 3,000 people are baptized on that day. Huge crowds. So again, I don't, I don't look at ministry in this sense and be like, oh, if we're gathering a huge crowd, we must be unfaithful to the gospel and therefore not becoming the church. I, don't, I look at this and I think, man, the things that actually happen around this place, I'm gonna tell a few stories here in a little bit because I think it's unbelievable what God is doing. There isn't time, you guys, on a Sunday morning to fill you in on all that God is doing around this place. There's so much. But, while I think we're doing this really well, I think we have room to grow here. What does it mean to spiritually form people, to send them out, to equip them, to be the body in their homes, in their neighborhoods, to get the church outside the church building, to get the people of God knowing how to do ministry in their community? It is one of the reasons why I love this value that we're leaning into of love my community, because I think it is taking us into places where our muscles have been a little weak as a church, and I'm excited that we get to grow and deepen together. As a matter of fact, while today, mostly what I really wanna celebrate is the beauty of the ecclesia working together and getting better together, for the next couple weeks, we're gonna be talking about this. What does it mean to lean into authentic community together? What does it mean to really be equipped as the people of God to live out the mission of God and to know that that's not just up to some pastor or some Bible college student or some staff person, but that God has released you, Ecclesia. 
your unique part of the body, Soma, to live out his mission on this planet. It's so big and beautiful. I was overwhelmed last night as I was praying for this morning, and I was like, God, just the tenderness of his love for you, his people, the tenderness of his love for his church, his people, the mission that he has put out in front of us that I think that we get distracted from and that the enemy loves to wrap in criticism and decay. All right, I lost myself in my notes. I don't know, I don't know where I'm at anymore. All right, well, let me, let me talk for just a minute and highlight a few areas where when I look at the power of together, when I look at how we are better together, I'm blown away. Again, I work for a ministry called Encounter. For the last six or seven years, friends, we have been praying 50-year prayers, 50-year prayers of God, how do you want us to, to dig wells right now that, that people can be doing ministry on the college campus? And God started answering those prayers. I actually uh, had a meeting set up with Tyler and I was just gonna be talking about some vision and other stuff, and all of these opportunities God's brought to the surface in ways I did not expect. And I came into the meeting with Tyler and said, Tyler, I did not set this meeting up with you as a fundraising meeting, I promise. But uh, God is doing stuff that we can't fund. He's answering prayers, uh, and I don't know what to do with it. And that, he was like, Ben, Actually, we have already been praying through, this was a year and a half ago, we've already been praying through our end of the year expanding ministry offering. We know that we wanted it to be with local partners. Like, God had already lined stuff up on Eastview's side to be like, you know what, we can come alongside and help with that. So you may or may not know it, but you were a huge part of changing our ministry, like what we will be able to do for the next 50 years through what you gave last year in your expanding ministry offering. It's unbelievable for us. Yeah, it's worth, it's worth clapping for. And I, I mean it when I say that this church can't produce enough videos to tell you about that kind of stuff that's going on all of the time. Um, I talked to Chad Parker this week. Chad, uh, he's one of our elders. He, he started a ministry called Goya. I've known Chad a long time. We went to the Philippines in 2004 together to do some campus ministry work there then. In 2006, he went to Kenya um, went to work with an orphanage there. And what he saw when he showed up there, he told me, he said it broke his heart. He said there were kids uh, living in feces and urine. And just the, the conditions, he said, were not, he said, I knew it was gonna be bad. It was just beyond what I expected. Then they drove to a, a, a garbage heap in Matumba with like a little village, basically, that's built on a garbage heap. And he said, and we get there, I meet Shadrach and Violet, who are these amazing followers of Jesus who love these kids and they have no resources. And he said, I'm watching naked children walk on, on, on glass and garbage. And he said, and the, the kicker was when I watched this little girl reach down and pick up a handful of dirt and put it in her mouth and swallow. He was like, it, it did something in me. And he came back home and he's like, I... I have to do everything in my power to resource Shadrach and Violet. And so he started Goya as a nonprofit and began raising money. And it was just, I mean, it was running on a shoestring budget. And they tried to build a little school. And I, I wrote it down so I don't get the facts wrong. They, wrote a, they, they built a small school and a church. Okay, and so they started to send a few teams. Chad started working on building a partnership between Eastview, uh, 
and, and Shadrach and Violet, they were gonna, we were gonna fly Shadrach and Violet over um, in 2017. And so things are beginning to start there, slowly. And in 2017, right as Eastview was talking about bringing on Goya as a global partner, uh, the Kenyan government came in and bulldozed everything. That little school, the little church, everybody's homes, all the shacks that they had built there, uh, unhoused everybody there. And so everything that had happened for the previous 10 years was lost. And the elders of the church said, you know what? I mean, beyond the typical offering, that was pre-COVID when we passed offering plates. You remember those days? <laughs> it's not a thing we do anymore. All right, so back in those days, they said, you know what? We still need to do an offering for the church, but we'll put shoeboxes in the back and we'll tell the congregation, you can give. If you're willing to give to Shadrach and Violet to help rebuild something different that can happen in Kenya, please do. Chad was hoping desperately, he told me, that this church could come up with $30,000. He said, at the very least, with that amount of money, we knew we could make good headway on what we had, what we had already started. And you gave $219,000. And he bawled. Yeah. And Chad told me he bawled like a baby. Today, you all, I asked him this week, what's going on with Goya now? Eight churches, three elementary schools, a junior high, a high school, a trade school, two medical centers, a dental center, two farms, and the ministry is baptizing hundreds every year and discipling thousands every year. You guys? Yeah. There is, there is a power when thousands of us come together, and I know I'm sharing financial stories, which in some ways seems shallow. It's an easy thing on the front end for me to show you, but I just want you to understand it is not just, it's not money. That isn't the only thing we share together. It's our gifts and our dreams and our time and our talent. It is the way that God has designed you to be a specific part of the Soma, the body of Christ. And so it's not just in the foundry. Down the other hall here, we've got Zach and Matt who are our, our, our uh, meeting with high school and junior high students. They're the ones who are leading the bands. They're the ones who are leading communion meditations. That's happening there. We have people working with special needs. Our food pantry that's here in town is, uh, I think it's, I don't want to get the numbers wrong, 600, I believe it is, 600 unique households a month are being fed because of work that we're able to do together. We have people who are stuck in addiction and need help with recovery. We have people who need help with counseling. We have all of these different things that are constantly happening, not just because people are walking through church budgets, but a lot of it is fed by you, Ecclesia, by you, Soma. I talked with one of the staff people this week and said, it's been a hard year for the staff. He said, do you know who, is, who has had the most encouragement for me? The body of Eastview has ministered more to me than I have to them in the past year. I, I will say that I think church, again, to come back to those things that you're holding in your hand, the positive and negative experiences you've had, it's a lot like marriage, where there's nothing quite as good as a marriage that's working well. It's beautiful to see two selfless people pouring into each other, not withholding. There's something about that that just works and it gives life to everybody around them. And there's nothing quite as bad, and that you've all seen it, as a marriage that's the, on the opposite extreme, where you have two people withholding and hating and harming, and it drains life from every person around them. And I will say in very much the same way, there is nothing quite 
as gross as when the church gets selfish and is working wrong. And there is nothing quite as beautiful as when the soma, the ecclesia, when the parts are working the way they're supposed to work. This is what God is drawing us toward, ecclesia. This is who we are becoming together. One last thought. I just pray that over the next two weeks, we move from thinking about church as a place we go and remember that church is the people that we are. So consider this my commission to go be the church.